Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Well, good morning to all of you. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning, for braving the cold. If you're preschoolers, you can see the screen right now. Uh, you can be dismissed at this time for Children's Church. Colleen's over here at the door in front of the sound booth. She'd love to take you down, down to Children's Church. And while the preschoolers are out of here, I would like to reward you all for raving today uh, by introducing you to the newest member of our church family. Uh, Maxwell James French was born uh, Tuesday morning at uh, 523 well, mom's doing well. Uh, he's home with, with mom and grandma this morning, but he told me personally to, to say hi to you all. Uh, so uh, he will be here in the, next, in the next few weeks, but we are excited and, um, for your prayers and uh, your, your for, for us, for Whitney especially. Uh, we really appreciate it. So now that I've guaranteed you won't listen to anything else I say this morning, uh, let, me, let me pray for us. And we will get into God's word together. For your your love, your for us, we thank you uh, that you are in As we sung this, reign over all things, and we praise you for that. We ask that you would be at the center of what we do in our time together this morning. That you would be in our worship that it would be honoring to you in all that we do. May we be built up as your people. Uh, may you be glorified in and through us now and always. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen. The story of Jesus encapsulates all of world history. It extends from the most mundane aspects of our existence all the way out to the farthest reaches of our universe. Jesus rules over all things, he speaks into all things, he holds authority over all things. His wisdom and his teachings, they are endlessly fascinating. We'll never get to the bottom of all that he is. I'm convinced he's the most compelling figure that has ever stepped onto the stage of world history. We measure time itself based off of when he arrived into this world. His followers have been writing, speaking about ever since he first came into the world, and we have yet to run out of things to say, and I don't think we will anytime soon. Because well, Jesus is, from the very beginning of the church, Jesus' followers have understood that his story cannot be summarized in just, just one telling, just one version of the story. And instead, we have four Gospels in our New Testaments. We have four different biographies of the life and ministry of Jesus, written by these early followers of Jesus that give us a picture of who he is from their own unique perspective. Because what we always need most is a clearer picture of who Jesus is. And because that is the case, we are walking through the gospel of Mark over the next few months to see who Jesus is and what he's come to earth to accomplish. And Rick got us started with that last week and showed us that most scholars think Mark is probably the first of the four Gospels that was written. And of those four Gospels in our New Testament, Mark is certainly the one that I think is the most enigmatic. It might be 
like how a, a movie might be made and it, it performs a little better than people thought, than the executives thought it was going to. And so instead of just leaving it that, they decide to make more movies in the series, make prequels and sequels and whatever it might be. Mark gives us an initial picture of who Jesus is. And while the other gospels will flesh out the picture more with events that Mark skips over, Mark tells us the key elements of the story and they are compelling and they are important. Mark might not tell us about a silent night and a, Jesus being born away in a manger in a little town in Bethlehem. He might not tell us about shepherds. He might not tell us about magi. He might not give us a genealogy like Matthew and Luke. He might not give us a poetic prologue about how Jesus is the son of God like John. But he's telling us the story of Jesus. He's telling us Jesus is the one who has come into the world to bring us into life with our God. Mark jumps straight into the story. He gives us some quotes. Testament. He jumps into the ministry of Jesus like Rick told us last week. Mark has places to be. He keeps the story moving along at a pretty good clip. He takes us straight to Jesus' first public revelation where he begins the work that God has sent him to do. And the passage today, we're going to see these two brief events that give us an introduction into who Jesus is and what he's come to this earth to accomplish. When in his time on the earth and in our lives as well. So I want to read for us the first scene that we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 9. I'll read down to verse 11. It says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. John the Baptist, as great as he was, was simply preparing the way for someone greater. And now we get to see who that person actually is. We're sitting down and reading through the Gospel of Mark. We see that this person is Jesus of Nazareth. And yet, as much as we've been told about him up to this point, about how great he is and all that he's going to do and all these things, once we actually get to meet him, we might be a little underwhelmed. Because Jesus comes on the scene in a pretty unassuming way. I mean, the name Jesus, we know the significance of it today, but in Jesus' day, it was a relatively common name. And he comes from this town of Nazareth. We know basically nothing about the town of Nazareth that's not told to us in one of the four Gospels in our New Testament. So you have a virtually anonymous person coming onto the scene from a basically unknown town to be baptized by John in the Jordan River. My guess is if we were there standing on the bank of the Jordan River on this day as Jesus went into the waters to be baptized by John, there wouldn't be that much about him that jumped out to us that was made him any different from anyone else who was baptized by John in this river. And yet things start to change when he comes up out of the water. Mark says that heaven is torn open. You can see it there in our English translation that we read from, but, but that word is a word for ripping. It is not a nice, calm term. It is the skies being ripped apart as the Spirit of God descends. It is from Isaiah 64, a passage where the prophet Isaiah is longing for God to show up to do something to redeem his people. And that chapter begins in Isaiah 64, 1, with the prophet Isaiah saying, oh, saying to God, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Isaiah prayed that God would help his people. Isaiah prayed that God would rip the sky open. 
happened to make it abundantly clear that he was on his way to redeem his people. And now, as Jesus comes out of those waters of baptism, the sky's torn open and the prayer of Isaiah is answered. Writhing to save his people. And what comes out of that torn sky is the Spirit of God descending in the form of a dove. You might know in Genesis 1-2, before God begins the work of creation, we are told that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And there were a number of Jewish rabbis in Jesus' day that would describe that as if it was like a, a, a dove hovering over waters. That was what the Spirit of God was like before God began the work of creation. And now, Mark tells us the Spirit of God is coming down in the form of a dove as this work of new creation begins. In the past, Spirit of God hovered over the waters before God began creating, and now the Spirit of God is over the waters of the Jordan River as Jesus begins the work of new creation, as he comes out of these waters and enters into this task that God has put before him. God himself comes in power through Jesus to bring salvation. The hope of centuries, the hope that God would do something new, that he would show up, that he would redeem his people, it is happening. The promises that God has made to his people are beginning to be fulfilled. But if you notice, this is not a task Jesus has been sent to accomplish on his own. A voice from heaven confirmed that God approves of and empowers the work of Jesus. And so you get this moment where all three members of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit descends on the Son as the Father testifies to the Son's identity and the task before him. This is all the case. The entire Godhead steps in unity as Jesus to his ministry to confirm the validity of his word. The Father speaks his love, he speaks his approval over him, and he does so with the words of Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42. Psalm 2 proclaims that he has placed his son in place for his people, that he will accomplish his purposes through him. Isaiah 42 looks forward to God raising up a servant who will have the Spirit of God upon him, and those two texts come together here as the voice of God tells us what is happening and what is going to happen. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the one true King. He is the one all other kings are just a cheap imitation. He's a servant who's been anointed by God to fulfill God's purposes. And I give all that background before answering the question that I think is the pretty natural one to ask when we read this passage. And the question is, why in the world does Jesus need to be baptized? I mean, we've already been told that Jesus is greater than John, but now he's coming and he's submitting to John's baptism. We've been told that John's baptism is a baptism for, the, for repentance, for forgiveness of sins, and Jesus doesn't have any sins, so why in the world would he need to be baptized? It's not a bad question. And I don't know if this is a complete answer, but, but Jesus seems to be baptized to demonstrate how he is completely entering into our human experience. Jesus is not because he has sins to repent. He's baptized because he has made human in every way. He's with us completely so that he might redeem us completely. He is baptized in the waters of the Jordan River because he is meeting us where we are so that he might lead us fully into life with God. It's only by identifying with us completely that he can redeem us completely. One ancient Christian writer put it this way. He said, that for that which he, meaning Jesus, for that which he has not assumed, he has not healed. But that which is united to his Godhead is also saved. 
Jesus had to be made human like us completely. He had to enter into our experience totally in order to redeem us completely and lead us completely back to God. And this voice of God confirms that he is up to the task. The voice of God as Jesus comes up out of the waters is not saying that previously Jesus was not his son, but now that he is, it's not saying he's entered into a higher plane of existence or anything like that. The voice of God is demonstrating Jesus' complete enthronement, his anointing for the task that he is going to accomplish. It was common in the ancient to anoint his son to take his place and sometimes even to reign alongside him until the, the older king passed away. And something similar seems to be happening right here. That God is anointing his son. He is proclaiming his status as he's, as he's been commissioned to fulfill, to redeem all things. And God proclaims all of this over his son to say that he is fully qualified and fully capable of completing the work before him. And that work means that the divide between God and humanity is breaking down. God has begun in Jesus to come to complete the purposes of God for his people that he's had in place ever since sin entered the world. Jesus enters into our human experience by passing through the waters of John's baptism. And God confirms his approval of this action and the task ahead of him by proclaiming his love for him. So as we're still getting bearings at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, we see that the one that John the Baptist was looking forward to has arrived. And he's into this task ahead of him under the guidance and approval of God the Father. But if this task is going to be completed, it will require Jesus' complete and continual submission to the will of God. It will require the constant guidance of God's Spirit. And in the very next scene in this story, those two things being true means that this story goes in a very different direction you've experienced this in life where it seems like everything is going well, everything's great, everything's going up and to the right, and then all of a sudden it takes a turn and life is never the same. And as we pick up this text at verse 12, it might seem like something like that is happening to Jesus because he's just come off the high of the baptism and the spirit of God descending like a dove and God proclaiming his love, his approval over Jesus. And then the next verse says, at once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. We just had the peak of the baptism, the descent of the Spirit, and now we get urgent and almost violent language to describe Jesus going into the wilderness. But if you notice, it's the Spirit of God that sends Jesus out there. The same that is descended from heaven like a dove and rested on Jesus, accompanied by the approval of God the Father in heaven, the very next thing that Spirit does is send Jesus out in the wilderness. Mark says it happens at once. Or and that word that is translated in the version we've read from sent out is a is a abrupt, it's a violent term. Actually, the, the, the place where it gets used the most often in our New Testament is when demons get cast out of someone. That's not a nice, calm, serene moment. And that's the word Mark uses to describe what's happening as Jesus goes out in the wilderness. The Spirit of God sends Jesus out, throws Jesus out, casts Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. 
And for whatever that might tell us, and it might tell us any number of things, but I think it at least tells us that being called by God and being filled with His Spirit does not guarantee that life will always go well for us. This work Jesus has before Him is not one where everything will always be one triumph onto the next one. It means that God has called Him to defeat the powers of evil, and therefore He will have to confront evil at its source. It means that as we walk with God in a broken world, we can expect the enemy of God's purposes and His people to confront us as well. Yet it's Jesus' confrontation with Satan in the wilderness that gives us hope that those forces will be defeated. Jesus enters into the wilderness under the guidance of the Spirit to do battle with Satan, to do battle with these forces of evil so that their defeat can begin. We're told in a passage like James 4, 7 to resist the devil and he will flee you. And that's pretty good advice for human beings. But if you know, Jesus doesn't follow it here. Or if he does, he doesn't do it very well. And yet the has to run and hide from Jesus. Apparently these normal rules don't apply to Jesus himself. God's people and God's purposes have a real enemy who desires nothing more than to oppose and destroy God and his work, but he is an enemy that has been rendered powerless by the arrival of Jesus into the world. But oddly enough, you might notice that Mark gives us very little detail about this event especially compared to the other Gospels. Mark gives us two verses about this episode. And you might know that Matthew and Luke also tell us about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Matthew summarizes the story in 11 verses. Luke takes 13 verses to tell us this story that Mark has just told us in two verses. And Mark gives us no specifics. Matthew and Luke tell us about three specific temptations Jesus puts before Jesus Mark makes it kind of sound like it was just a continual temptation over the course of 40 days. Mark makes no mention of Jesus fasting, like we're told in Matthew and Luke. Mark doesn't even take the time to tell us whether or not Jesus was victorious over Satan in his temptations. We can assume that he was, from what Mark tells us and from what we know about the rest of the story, but that's never clearly stated here. And given that that is the case, it might make it even more strange that he does tell us some things because the things does tell us don't seem quite as essential. He tells us there are wild animals present, even though he doesn't explain why. And he tells us that angels come and attend to him. It would seem like all the details Mark could have told us don't appear to be the essential ones. So why does Mark think they're worth concluding? Well, he seems to be telling us that Jesus has entered into the wilderness because that seems to be what God always does to prepare his people. God called Abraham to follow him. He said, I'll make you and your descendants into a great nation. And then Abraham and his son, grandson had to live as nomads for decades. He tells Joseph in a dream to be a great ruler. All his family members are going to come and bow down before him. And then before that happens, Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, and has to go into prison. After God frees his people from slavery in Egypt, he takes them into the wilderness for 40 years so that they can learn what it means to be his people. The prophet Elijah goes into the wilderness more than once to experience God's presence and provision. He has to go into the belly of a great fish before he understands who God is and what he wants. Israel as a nation itself has to go into exile so that God can prepare them for his Messiah to come 
how Jesus goes into the wilderness because, again, he is fully entering into the experience of being human. He faces temptation because he is being made like us in every way. The one God has sent is entering into our experience completely so that he can redeem us completely. The wilderness, as we all may or may not know, is not a friendly and inviting place if we actually encounter it for what it is. I mean, state parks are nice for a day trip, but what Mark describes here that Jesus goes through is not a nice little hike at Quarry Hill. The wilderness is the domain of wild animals. It's the realm of things that kill your livestock. It's believed to be where evil spirits live in Jesus' day, and yet Jesus goes out there and he confronts it all totally because he's entering into our experience, even when it's not tame and inviting. When I was in college, I went on a backpacking trip one summer with a couple of friends of mine, and we were we would hike all day and then camp overnight. We did that for a few days. And one night, we're sleeping in our makeshift tent that's really just a tarp, and my friend who's sleeping next to me has a dream while he's asleep that a mountain lion came to camp. I did not know that he had had this dream. My experience of his dream was him sitting up in his sleeping bag and saying, did you hear that? And when I said no, he back to sleep, leaving me to wonder what in the world he had just heard that I had not heard <laughs> that was just about to come and, and kill me. Because we, you know, we had all these accommodations with us, we had our sleeping bags, we had our tents, we had all the stuff to help us survive, but we still weren't in our natural habitat. We still weren't in an environment that was built for sustaining human period of time. We were in the wilderness. And when you're in the wilderness, subject to all of things you might be able to avoid normally and this is where Jesus is as he enters into our experience he goes into all the frailties of humanity the reality of temptation experiencing it for himself so that he might lead us back to God and through that experience wild animals and angels come to Jesus and I find those details interesting because while you know, the idea of wild animals coming up to you doesn't exactly sound inviting, Mark seems to make it sound as if they weren't much of a threat to Jesus. And I find that interesting because when you read through the Old Testament, there are a few different places where there are descriptions of what things will be like when God makes all things new, when his creation's restored, when sin is done away with, and what that will be like for God's people. And one of the details that comes up a few different times in those passages is that there will be peace between humanity and and wild animals. One of those passages is in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 8. Isaiah is describing what God's restored creation is going to look like. He says, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. A little child's got a lion by a leash. The cow will feed the bear. The young will lie, their young will lie down together. Cows and bears are friends, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. Children can have poisonous snakes as pets, and it is apparently not a problem in God's stored creation. When all things are at peace under God's rule and reign, animals are no longer a threat. And I tell you those, read you those verses from Isaiah chapter 11, because I think we're getting a preview of that coming right here as Jesus comes through his temptation. Yes, Jesus is in the wilderness. Yes, 
He's being tempted by Satan. Yes, he is with the wild animals, but they are not a threat to him because God's new creation is breaking through as Jesus has come to lead us back to God. That new creation is breaking through because God's presence goes with Jesus. The Spirit of God might have sent Jesus out into the wilderness, but that does not mean that God's presence abandoned Jesus as he went out there. Angels comfort Jesus and offer him assistance after his temptation. Because this passage will not be the last time Jesus faces opposition or temptation or anything like that. And so Jesus is reminded that he does not go into this, go into this alone. The presence of God goes with and before Jesus because God is completing his purposes for the world through him. Yes, Jesus will encounter evil and opposition plenty of other times while he is on this earth, but the result will be the same every time because he is walking in step with the will of his Father. The voice that is proclaimed that Jesus is his Son, that he loves, with whom he is well pleased, is still with him over every step of his ministry. Satan may take other shots at Jesus, but his downfall has already begun. The Spirit of God is coming down. Things are at peace. All creation, animal, human, divine, are under Jesus' authority right here as you have wild animals and angels coming together underneath Jesus' authority as an appetizer to what he is going to do. He's come to identify with us in every way so that his new creation might break through and we might be completely redeemed. And it's that complete submission to the will of God that leads us into life. And so that means that if we want to have life with our God, it comes through submitting to God's will in the same way. Jesus is the Son of God who has come to make all things new. All powers of sin and death and evil are him. He takes all this on so that we might be brought into new creation. He's come through his baptism where he enters into the waters of repentance to identify with those of us that need to repent. As he comes up out of those waters, the voice of God confirms that he's the one we've been waiting for, the one who can redeem us completely, who can save us from sin and death. He is the one we should listen to. He can be trusted to lead us back to God because he's entered into all of human experience. And that means that his new creation can break through into every area of our lives when we submit to him. What we always need most is a clearer vision of Jesus. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, that is what you need. If you've never followed Jesus, he has what you need. I don't know what you're looking for. You're looking for career advancement or financial security or peace at home or love in your marriage again or love for the first time or something else completely. I don't know whatever deep needs of your heart truly are that you're trying to fulfill with temporary things. They're needs that can only be filled by life with the one to redeem you completely. What Jesus wants to give you might not be what you think you want, but it is what your soul needs. So come to him so that he might fulfill the deepest longings of your heart. He's entered into our experience fully so that we might have life with God fully. So don't try to find life anywhere else when you can have it in Jesus even today. If you already know Jesus, he has come so that you might have life with God. And that life starts, it extends into eternity, but it starts right now in all things, in your work, in your soul, 
Jesus has come to bring his new creation about and so experience it for yourself. We're here as a, we are a group of people trying to figure out what it looks like to experience that new creation together. So come be a part of what God wants to do in and through us. Because if Jesus brings his new creation through submitting to the will of God in baptism and in temptation, that means that if we're going to experience his new creation, it will only come when we also submit to the will of God and the guidance of God's Spirit. That is what Jesus did to open up life with God for us, and that means we can have life with God when we follow in his footsteps. So I know we're on the second Sunday of the new year, but I didn't get to preach last week, so, hold, so bear with me a little bit. As we are here at the beginning of the new year, I don't know if there's a better thing we could commit to do as individuals or as a church than to decide that we're going to submit to the guidance of God's Spirit wherever it leads. And I don't know what that looks like for each and every one of us individually. If it helps you at all, we have resources we'd love to connect you with. We have a, a resource we call the Marion Road that tries to help people no matter where they are in their walk with Jesus and connect them with resources that might help them experience life with God more fully. And maybe that's something you need to look into today. Maybe you're just starting to figure things out and you have a lot of questions. We'd love to connect you with, with someone who can answer them. Maybe you're gaining speed and you need to learn what it looks like to dig into reading the Bible for yourself so that you can grow in this new year. Maybe you're wanting to learn how to apply that into your work, into every area of your life. We would love to connect you with people that you can walk alongside to make that happen. Maybe you're trying to figure out how to disciple a ministry, family, in your work, wherever it might be with that as well, no matter what stage you might be in in your walk with Jesus. We would love to walk alongside you as we all walk in life with Jesus together. But no matter where you are, the thing you need is a clear vision of Jesus. The life he desires for us, it comes each and every day through waking up and committing to submit to what he is doing in and through us. It comes through asking him to reveal him to us and how his message applies to our life. It comes through relationships that will call you closer to Jesus and allow you to call others to do the same. Jesus has come so that we might have life because he completely submitted to the will of God and completely identified with us. So may this year be one where you and where us as a church learns what it looks like to submit to the work God is doing in our life so that we might be completely redeemed by the one who has come for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that Jesus has come so that we might be made new. We thank you that he was made like us in every way, yet without sin, so that we might have life. Come to redeem the worst parts of us so that we might be made new, that he has come to us into who you've created us to be. So God, we bow before you now as imperfect people, as people figuring it out, trying to learn what it means to follow you each and every day. We ask that your spirit would fill us. Help us to know who you are, how you're at work in our lives. Help us to walk with you each and every day as individuals and in our life together. And we ask all this in your son's name. Amen. 
We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French. 